Welcome to The Spectrum, brought to you by ABA Centers of America. I'm Dr. Ted Bender, clinical psychologist and mental health advocate. To learn more, visit our website at abacenters.com. Today, I have the overwhelming privilege of speaking with the brilliant and talented actor, Joe Montaigne, about autism awareness. I'm just gonna mention a few of the roles, some of my favorites. Uh, we wouldn't have enough time to get through them all. Obviously, Godfather 3, one of my favorite characters, Joey Zaza. Criminal Minds, I think close to 300 episodes that are I out, think, right? Well, yeah, the show's been out over 325, I think, 325. And, 325. and another another absolutely amazing show. My my kid's favorite character uh, on The Simpsons, uh, Fat Tony, The Bronx Bowl, and much, much more. But today, you know, I want to thank you again so much for coming down in person to talk about your advocacy involving autism and autism spectrum disorders. My pleasure. Thank you. Again, can you start to tell us a little bit about what got you into even talking about autism and advocating for spectrum disorders? Well, to tell you the truth, it kind of happened shortly after my daughter was diagnosed with autism. Your daughter, Mia? My daughter, Mia. We were in New York at the time. I was actually shooting two films at the time. I was shooting a Woody Allen film, Alice, and also shooting Godfather 3, ah. which was being shot in New York as well as Italy and a few other places. So anyway, we were in New York. My daughter was about two and a half years old at the time. My, my wife was pregnant with our second child at the time. We, we, we started to pick up these little indications that there was something, something little different about Mia's development. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? We could tell her her speech was was not was not really there. Her eye contact, all these, and you have to remember this is 1990, so this is some years ago. So we 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 we, we figured we should. We were here in New York. We weren't at our home here in Los Angeles, but so we, we contacted some people to get some medical advice mm -hmm. as to maybe who we could see. So we 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 finally get some. Uh, advice as to perhaps someone to, who to see. Uh, and of course, we get the diagnosis that, well, seems to this particular doctor that she exhibited maybe eight of the 10 traits mm. of definitely of being autism. So of course, we immediately get that. That's that moment you, when your heart goes into your stomach, then back up again. And, and for, you know, the, your, your first impulse is, oh my God, now what? Mm. And then you know, but my wife and I have been together a long time, even prior to this. So we look at each other and, we, and then the next instance is, okay, now what are we going to do about right. it? You know? And so, so we, we you know, so I, of course I, I, I finished the, the, the two films. My second daughter is born while we're in New York, mm -hmm. my daughter Gia. So we all come back now to California. Uh, coming back now with two daughters. We left with one, come back with two <laughs> and one has also been diagnosed now with autism right. while we're away. Um, so of course we immediately start jumping into like, well, well, now what can we do? We start examining what our options are. While I was in New York, there was a group contacted me called CAN, or, or no, um, NAR, National Alliance for Autistic Research. Mm -hmm. And I contacted them and they started giving me some information about maybe how they can help, but, but, but whatever. But to, to go to your question, shortly, a few months later, as we're starting to do the publicity for Godfather 3, they had, I think it was something, it was either People Magazine or Time Magazine, they wanted to do an interview with me as mm -hmm. I was playing the head villain, Joey yeah. Zaza. Yeah. So as, as often is the case with these kind of publications, they did their research and somehow, though I wasn't public about this at all, somehow they found out or heard huh. that, oh, you may have a daughter who has autism. Was that sprung on you? It was sprung on me. Absolutely. It was, it was a phone interview I was doing with the uh, interviewer. And, she, and there was a woman and she said, uh, well, it's come to our attention that you have a daughter with autism. Now, would you like to, can we, can we mention that? Can we talk about that? And I, I have to say, it was like, it, it took me aback because I thought, 
wow, where did that come from? And how did they even know that? Right. But I mean, but then you have to get past that and kind of basically answer the question. Yeah. And it was in that instant, I thought to myself, okay, I have two options here. I either say, no, I don't want to talk about it. But by doing that, I thought to myself, I'm negating my daughter's existence. Mm. I'm basically saying, no, I'm not going to talk about that because it's, it's you know, that's a very personal. But I'm thinking, but she's, but she's in the world. This is, you know, and, and there's a lot to talk about because we've, we've been experiencing what the, what that situation is like, you know, and, and, and so I thought, well, maybe there's something to be said about talking about it. If nothing else, I'm at least acknowledging her existence. Right. That she's part of my family, our family. And I can't in good faith say, uh, no, but let's talk about my newborn. That's hmm. just three months old. So I said, no, I'll talk about it. So we didn't talk in length about it, but I remember one kind of question that came up. It says, well, how, when did you first learn about how did it manifest itself? And I basically, one of the answers I gave was I said, I remember being in a grocery store with her and she had a tendency at that age, she was only two and a half years old, right. and she would sometimes be afraid of something or something. She'd hold her ears up for uh -huh. certain stuff or she'd scream and go, ah. And I, and I said, sometimes the look from the other parents in the grocery store would set me off a little bit because they'd look at me like I was a bad parent mm -hmm. and I wanted to grab them and shake them and said, no, she has autism, you know, and we just actually found this out that this is what this is. You know what I mean? And so anyway, the article comes out, they, don't, they didn't mention in length about that. They mentioned, and Joe has a daughter with autism and da, 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 da. Well, I started getting some fan, basically fan letters mm. to sent to like through my agents, agency from people who basically said, you got to remember, again, this is 1990. Right. So the autism thing was not so prevalent mm -hmm. or certain. There was a lot hadn't happened yet in that field. Letters saying, thank you so much for doing that, for acknowledging that. Because like one woman writes, I thought we were the only kind of people that that happens to. Yeah. And to know that you have a public voice and are able to tell what, what it, it, that experience is like and what the kind of things you have to deal with is really comforting and, and helpful to all of us. And at that instant, I realized, well, then that's it. The cat's out of the bag and will stay out of the bag. And f and that's why I'm here today. I mean, it's it goes back to the question when someone asks me, well, what's it like to have a child with autism? And my answer always is, I don't know what it's like not to have yeah. a child with autism. And so once you've done that, then that, that's where you're at. This is literally, you know, the point of this work that I do and, and, and this podcast is exactly what you just mentioned. And you mentioned that was in the early 90s. Right. Um, and we're still in a position where we need to bring as much public attention to this as possible for many reasons. For right. one, that parent in the grocery store that didn't understand, that teacher in the classroom that doesn't know what's going on, raising money for research. And we still, you know, as much as we know about treating the disorder, we still have a lot of questions about how it comes about. We have some knowledge of it. We have some science behind it, but we don't know exactly what causes it. Uh, and the only way we're going to get there is by continuing to do this kind of advocacy and bringing awareness to the public about the spectrum and the disorder. Right. So going back, um, you mentioned two and a half years old. The first thing you kind of remember catching was that sensory experience in the grocery store, loud noises, mm -hmm. right? I've spoken to tons of people who have the same kind of experience, adults with autism, you know, any kind of unexpected noise. Right. It might not be super loud, but just it's unexpected. Exactly. And just kind of kind of set them off. So that was the first thing you noticed. How did it evolve over time and what what other um, difficulties did you see? Well there there was that and and uh uh 
and again, there was always that thing, and there was and the visual things as well could could do that. I mean, I remember once mm -hmm. we we went to like a Renaissance fair, and all of a sudden there were these people wearing these costumes with uh -huh. face masks and things like that, and, and all of a sudden you could tell this was freaking her out because uh -huh. just the visualization of things that were a little unusual were putting her on edge. She seemed tense. Oh, very tense, yeah. and sometimes and afraid. And, yeah. But one thing we did notice, and, and we even tried some, like we there was a, we tried one therapy that we'd heard about, where like an audio therapy thing, mm -hmm. where you, she would wear earphones and they would play different, you know, gradually, you know, to try to perhaps acc acclimate her to certain kind of sounds and things and let her realize that, mm -hmm. you know, the thing, that these things exist and they're not to be afraid of. Right. I, I, I don't know the science behind it, but we, like I said, we were willing to try this, that, and everything. Mm -hmm. But we did notice that over the years, you know, again, starting at two and a half up until she's now, you know, 36 years old, a lot of those things, whether or not, as to what the reasons that they, they were able to kind of get resolved, I can't put my finger mm -hmm. on, but many of them were. Like that sound thing seemed to go away. So in other words, whether or not she became inured to that kind of thing and came to the realization that it's not something to needs to set her off mm -hmm. and the same thing with the visual in fact the opposite happened with the visualization thing she's the only one in our family that loves like monster movies and horror movies she's not afraid of anything <laughs> she really has those things don't don't freak her out it's not scary to her she kind of embraces them so we can't but that's you know so, so she can watch criminal minds oh without question she can watch anything it's just it doesn't really you know she she she, she uh she has a different perception of what other people might think as is weird or gory yeah. or shocking or something which is fine um, so uh, there were, it, but, but one thing, and it goes back to something you had talked about, you mentioned the thing about the, the schooling thing. Mm -hmm. That's, that, that was a major thing that we had to deal with because initially your first impulse is, okay, well, she's, she's, she has this thing, so she's going to have to be in a special class with special kids and yeah. special teachers. And we did that for early on for mm -hmm. quite a while, you know, especially preschool, kindergarten and first couple of years. But, but when the, the the good side of my occupation in terms of the travel is that we always took we always went together. Oh, really? Because we I always felt it's important that that we travel as a family, mm -hmm. and rather than hey, daddy's going to be gone for a couple of months. Good yeah. luck, yeah. and and have more. My mother, my wife, then has to deal with the two children, one of them with the special needs. So instead, my, our feeling was, look, they may miss out on some schooling like in these early years of first second third grade yeah. whatever it may be but they'll learn the capital of indiana some other time yeah. <laughs> in the meantime it was be with dad yeah but by doing that we, and we traveled extensively we'd go to places like europe a lot of times in canada and in canada we learned a lot hmm. and the reason is at least at that time when we looked at to kind of like especially when i was there for extended period to try to put them in a, a schooling situation a lot of times they would say well we don't really do special education the same way you do there. Mm -hmm. We're going to put her in a regular class, but if she needs a special kind of thing within that class, we'll provide it. Interesting. Like their thing is like if, if, they, if the kid has a hearing problem, they, they give her whatever she needs for the hearing. She's she, uh, paralyzed, we'll, we'll accommodate the wheelchair. If she has autism, well, well, we'll accommodate her with if she needs an aid, whatever. But we're not going to put her in a class with just the kids on the spectrum. She's going to be with a regular class, and we'll just accommodate her within that class. How'd she respond to that? She responded great because yeah. the, because they were prepared for it and the teacher was prepared for it and that's what opened our eyes. We're like, what? Hmm. So now, which was basically early form of inclusion, 
to us. See, mm -hmm. To us, inclusion didn't really, we, we didn't see it happening here. It, it was more like when you went to the public schools or whatever, because she did have an IEP. In other mm -hmm. words, she, we put her in the public school system because they at least provided the services. Right. But we figured, well, those are that's our alternative. She's going to be in a special class, and maybe someday she'll be able to work her way where she can go in a regular class with mm -hmm. regular, you know, regular kids. Regular kids. Exactly, whatever, yeah. or regular, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? But so anyway, when we came back, especially then we went out to Chicago and I did a movie in Chicago and we went to, it was a, we went to a private school rather than a public school thinking, well, maybe there'll be, maybe there's, maybe there's something there that they'll accommodate her. And luckily this one principal of that school said, you, you have to go meet Miss Fendler who teaches our first grade class. Because at that, it, me, it was applicable to go in first grade at that time. She mm -hmm. was six years old. We walk into her class. And we explain, well, this is me. And, da, da, da. and instantly, this woman, Miss Karen Fendler, said, I've, I've got it. She takes Mia by her hand, walks her in front of the class of all these six-year-olds and says, kids, this is Mia. She has autism. She's going to do strange things. She may walk up to the blackboard. She may start singing. She may do da, 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 da. We're all going to help her out. We're all going to love her. We're all going to be supportive. Right? Yay. And we're like, oh, my God. This can't happen. <laughs> So that started, and to this day, we're very close to that Karen Fenler, that mm. teacher who, that, like I said, Mia's 36, this was when she was six years old. Right. Anyway, from that point on, we kind of did our due diligence to try to make inclusion work. So yeah. in other words, we from that point on, in each year of schooling, sometimes it was difficult, but sometimes it, it worked out magnificently because the school would respond and they'd talk to the teacher and the teacher said, well, I've never had that in a class before, but if I'm willing to try it. And ultimately, you know, 99% of the time, it was positive for everybody where the kids benefited from it, Mia mm -hmm. benefited from it. And that's why we never thought we could ever do anything but that. It brought the whole class into it. Exactly. And so they, they were able to understand that not everybody's the same. Yeah. That there's going to be people who are a little different and we have to try to accommodate them. And it's okay. And it's okay. Yeah. And uh, so she, you know, she always had an aide there just to kind of, because, you know, you don't want to put that burden, extra burden on the school of like, well, this is your responsibility or if they handle this. So, but yet, you know, it worked. And then by the time she was in high school, she didn't need that aid. I mean, she, she they, they understood and she'd be in the regular class. And every once in a while, she'd have to go into, you know, the, the uh, a regular kind of a, or not a regular, but a, like a special needs mm -hmm. kind of a environment in a certain class at a certain year. But for the most part, from almost from those early first, second, third grade on, it was always inclusion. And I think it made a huge, huge difference. This podcast is proudly sponsored by ABA Centers of America. Totally agree with you. And at ABA Centers, we, you know, we do some work in the office and we have you know, incredible play spaces and, and offices built out to treat this. But a lot of times we're spending in the home. And in the schools, you know, and we're, we're huge advocates for being present in the school system with the child who is struggling. And, you know, like you said, being inclusive and as regular uh, kind of classroom style as possible. But like you said, they need some help, especially early on. Uh, and that's where we really shine, I think, as a, as a treatment company uh, by really meeting the child where they're at, literally and figuratively. Great. So you mentioned, um, again, I think for a lot of people who are watching this out there, a lot of parents who may have that two-year-old, three-year-old, they're starting to notice symptoms. You mentioned the, 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 the sensory issues, but how did that progress? What other things did you notice when she was really young that a parent might recognize? Or... Well, there are certain things. I mean, there's, there are things that are still uh, pervasive. I mean, you know, she, 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 she'll do the, 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 the hand, hand clapping and mm -hmm. things like that, and she'll... Um, She'll get fixated on certain words or phrases mm -hmm. or things, and um, 
and it's, it's just part of her her DNA. It's just part of what, what that condition is. Yeah. And yet, and 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 then on this flip side, there's there's certain savant abilities that 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 kind of show themselves. Tell us about that. Well, she she first of all she has this incredible thing about dates. We mm. use Mia like almost like a computer <laughs> because we could say Mia. What, what was the name of that restaurant that we ate at when you were you know, 11 years old in Chicago? And she'll, she'll, she'll rattle off the day. You know, she'll say, uh-huh. oh, that was da-da-da-da-da, and, and it was, you know, what we ate and things like that. I mean, it's almost like she compartmentalizes <laughs> so many experiences and dates and, and events and things like that, especially things that are important to her. She can, she can name almost any, you know, musician, rock and roll musician, and she'll tell you exactly what, their birthday and uh-huh. things like that. Uh other things were, and this this maybe tie into a visual thing. I remember we brought her to a party once when she was about maybe five years old, and it was a little boy's birthday party, and they had just given him a video game, mm-hmm. and he was sitting on the floor with a couple other boys, yeah, and they were working their way through this video game, and I remember I had Mia by the hand, and she's watching them and watching them play the game, and and one of the mothers I think came by and says, well, maybe Mia would like to play, thinking, oh, let's let's help the little mm-hmm. girl out so she could be included, you know. And so the little boy says, oh, okay, you want to play it? And Mia really had very little language though, but kind of understood what was. She sat down, and she grabbed the controls, and this was mind blowing for us. She starts working through this thing. And it's like doom, 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 and these kids are looking at us. Because she's solving it, and it's going bang, 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 and finally it goes do 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 do, game over. And it was like these kids looked at us and they said, "That's not supposed to happen." You know, you you buy this game so that supposedly it takes you a couple weeks to get through it, and she did it. And we're like, and I remember we discussed it with again with somebody. You know, so whether it was somebody a professional like yourself, and, and and it came to our attention that it's very possible that she has that capability of when she's she, she, her visualization is so good, and if she sees something, and if she sees that it's a mistake, she's not going to repeat that mistake. Mm. In other words, she has the capability of saying that doesn't work. I will never do that again. Interesting. Where a lot of us don't have that. In other words, our we we we. We'll, we'll, maybe we'll remember it for five seconds, but 15 seconds later we forget, oh, you know, we shouldn't have done that because uh-huh. that was a mistake. It's like going through a maze knowing that you never are going to go to hit that mm-hmm. that wall twice. And she does have that capability. I, I noticed that we'll play Jeopardy. We watch Jeopardy a lot together, her and I. And she'll throw that answer out a second before the question comes up on the screen. Huh. So it's almost like... She has that ability of visualization and comprehending what it says and instantly responding to it. But yet, on the other hand, you know she can't tie her shoes. You know, yeah, and, uh, and and still wants to, you know, go to Disneyland and visit the princesses. Yeah. So you you, you learn that there's it's always going to be the yin and the yang. You know, it's going to be that extreme and then that extreme. Absolutely. And, my major professor in graduate school, he once told me that there's a lot of professors in universities that are, you know, all-stars in their field. And he his theory was that the majority of them were somewhere on the spectrum. Oh, Maybe very high-functioning, but... I, 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 I'm convinced of it. I mean, whenever I see people like... I mean, I don't, I don't want to, you know... <laughs> insinuate that a lot of these people are, but you talk about even when you look at somebody like whether it's a Bill Gates or mm-hmm. Elon Musk and people of that caliber who are like these brilliant minds. Yeah. I see those little kind of ooh, the, <laughs> they've they've been the lucky ones that have, that really tapped into all the ninety nine percent of the positive aspect of it and maybe one percent of the negative aspect right. of it, which makes them just a little quirky, <laughs> which is okay, you know. Yeah. Uh, but but you never know how how those odds are gonna. 
you know, yeah, play that, themselves that, out. That's a good point for, for our listeners at home. We call it a spectrum disorder because this disorder lies on a line. You may have very, very mild symptoms. Like what you said, just turns out as a quirk, but they're able to tap into that laser-like focus on whatever the, their specialty is. There could be, it could be a moderate case where they need a tremendous amount of attention and skills building. And then you may have the very severe cases where they're going to need lifetime care, but people are going to be somewhere along the spectrum right. and the level of severity varies very differently from person to person. Right. Exactly right. So over the years, and I think it's it's incredibly valuable to hear this from from you, especially for for parents of young kids who don't know what's going on. Um, what kind of supports have you found, maybe not just for her, but for you for you as a family unit to kind of help to deal with this as positively as you yeah. have? Yeah. Well, you know, luckily being in the line of work I am, I mean, I'm in a very social profession, mm-hmm. and we have, a, and I have a very social lifestyle, and I think in a way that's been very positive because what it is is. We've never kind of excluded Mia as, uh-huh. as part of that. If anything, she's been totally included, and everybody gets it. So, and, you know, I mean, the, the entertainment community is pretty open-minded anyway, yeah. which is great. Yeah. Um, but, and I think it, it's been very beneficial in the sense of that, too, just as we did with the schooling. It's the same way socially and with everything else. In other words, it's been, I think, very beneficial for, for Mia that she's been in an environment where, look, we've always felt... The world is not going to adapt to her. She's going to have to adapt to the world. Yeah. And so the world is what it is. And, I, and we're not going to always be here. So we have to prepare her as much as possible for, you know, that eventuality and, and know that, you know, thank God she's got a younger sister who's very uh, in tune too. But you can't count on anything. You have to just make her as, as functionally independent as, as you can, but, but yet knowing that they have to function within the real world as much as possible, you know? Yeah. And so, 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 there, so there's that. So, I mean, so... I guess what I'm saying is, as I said, we had that choice, and I and I've known parents that have done that. They've done the opposite. They've 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 been closed mouthed about it. Yeah. They've been secretive about it. They have almost like that hidden kid, you know, that, that nobody talks about and nobody you know is aware. You know, if they they may be aware of it, but nobody brings it up because it's like, well, we don't know what's going on there, but we just kind of know it exists. That that wasn't the scenario we played, you know, or the. the, the the road we took, uh, and and I'm of the belief, yeah, you, you there's going to be some hardships because of it, or maybe not so much hardships, but there's going to be some difficulties, and there's going to be moments where you're going to say, oh, I wish, you know, yeah, that that wasn't so. But yet, on the other hand, it's like you say, you got to just get out there and and let them experience the world as it is. Yeah, you know, you mentioned a couple really good points in there too. Uh, I've seen in my own personal life and professional life that, you know, the family that doesn't want to acknowledge it, like you said, that hidden kid where they just absolutely refuse to believe there's anything wrong with their child. And while we can certainly understand that from an ego perspective, Mm -hmm. um, it unfortunately does no service to the child because they're not getting the services they need. Correct. And, you know, through your ex- lived experience and advocacy, you know full well that the earlier we diagnose this and the earlier treatment begins, the better projection and outcomes uh, for kids as they grow up and navigate the world. Because like you said, they're going to have to live in this world. The entire world is not going to adapt to them. Exactly right. And there's no, ma- you know, early on when you first get that diagnosis, you think, oh God, you're you're hoping that they invent that magic bullet. Yeah. They're, they're going to come up with that pill, that serum, that whatever that's going to fix this. But then when you, especially when they go after they come out of, you know, childhood and go into young adulthood and then adulthood, mm-hmm. you start to realize, okay, we still hope that that happens. Yeah. Someday they, they were able to say, yeah, we're going to, we can 
twist the chromosome and we're going to avoid this ever happening to anybody mm -hmm. else. But in the meantime, you've got this planet full of these adults who they were only kids for so many years, yeah. but they're going to be adults for a whole lot longer. Mm -hmm. And you have that they have to be acknowledged and they have to be, you know, we have to be aware of that and do what we can to, you know, make the world at least as open open their arms to them as much as, as they would to anyone else. I totally agree. You know, and um, one thing that I see in the field of autism is the need to uh, really to be, to meet them where they're at, again, physically and, and mentally. Uh, and I think it's just so important to be, to have really access to the school systems. You know, some schools and some teachers, like you mentioned, the one that you're still close with, uh, have that skill and that specialty. Other people, through no fault of their own, just have had no training, and they, right. yeah, they don't, they don't know how to handle that situation. Right. I think it's just so important for treatment companies, you know, like like our treatment company, ABA Centers, but for for treatment companies to be able to, you know, have that presence in the school system to help them through their day, to help teach them the behaviors that they're going to need, uh, you know, being in just typical classroom settings, and um, we think that that's critically important to the advancement of this field and treatment. Mm -hmm. Great. For for Mia, um, what behaviors or therapy, what therapeutic interventions were most successful, and what kind of therapies does she engage in? Well, a lot of it. Well, even currently, we we have we uh, we have an aide that works with her in terms of the physicality aspects of it. You know, so she she could because she's not going to be inherently she's not going to choose to like do perhaps where her body awareness like mm -hmm. in other words oh, i think i'll go to the gym and work out right. or or jog or ride a bike or something or things like that yeah. but but yet she's always game for whatever kind of instruction someone will give her huh. so in other words so i think that's been a big thing especially now she, you know like i said 36 years old she's a woman now and so we would just want her to be you know aware of that she has to take care of her body as, as much as her mind and anything else mm -hmm. and so Th those kinds of things you, you, that can't be ignored because otherwise, if you just focus on the autism aspect of it and what's going on mentally, and then forget about well, you know, you, you may find you, you all of a sudden you've got a child sitting there who maybe weighs three hundred pounds mm -hmm. and is sitting in a corner, and you're you're worrying about, you know, that, that how, how the autism is, affects their mental aspects, but you're not caring about the, the rest of their physical being. Yeah. So I mean, I think that that, that whole being aware of that whole t total body experience of the, of that you you the, is incorporate as much you know physical therapies as you would uh, mental therapies. Do you know? think it's uh, that, that's very interesting? So you have you have someone kind of nudging her towards doing this or doing that, and then she's yeah, on board. Yeah, exactly. In other words, like somebody who was like into that, almost like a fitness instructor. Yeah. So like, hey, let's try yoga. Let's try the, and, and, and what's great is Mia will embrace a lot of these things. Like huh. she'll, she'll say, I want to do Pilates or I want to do yoga. Da, 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 da. So that, that you, once you've created that positive reinforcement of yeah. doing these things, she'll, she'll then want to do it for the rest of her life. Because when she grabs something, she usually grabs it 100%. That's interesting because in, in a lot of other kind of therapies and therapies that I've utilized with my patients over the years, you know, we talk about like social anxiety, right? And oftentimes we have to work them up to exposing themselves to the things that they're fearful of, right? right. Like going to the gym or any of the right. things you mentioned. Do you think for her it's 
some of that or is it just someone needs a reminder to do these things like once she's in it is she anxious about it or yeah i, th I think i think i think a reminder is a good thing or having a, a schedule you know, okay just kind yeah. of knowing that, that you know that she's always like the routine of you know she that's what i mean here we have the, the one daughter who's not on the spectrum I, I i wish her room when she was growing up was halfway as organized <laughs> as mia's room because mia you think mia was in the army yeah. you know everything is perfectly lined up this this, 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 this very you know regimented yeah, about that yeah. and the same thing with the uh, you know what the daily routine what she's going to do she accepts that and will do it the social thing i mean it's been and i know that exists with many people on the autism spectrum like yeah. in other words they have these kinds of those kinds of issues that's that's never been the case so much with me and maybe it's because of of like I say, the kind of lifestyle we live. I mean, we're almost like Ricky and Lucy, my wife, and mm -hmm. she's like Lucy to my Ricky because mm -hmm. she really kind of stirs the drink. You know, she's she's a driving force. Yeah. And so because of it, nobody could exist in our family who was kind of a shrinking violet. It just couldn't, <laughs> and so and Mia included. So because of it, she never had that thing of, of a, you know, fear of talking to somebody or you know being hesitant okay, so it wasn't a fear and anxiousness not at all Got in other it. words she's if she if she walked in here right now she'd look you she'd walk right up to you and say hi what's your name what's your birthday <laughs> and then you tell her your birthday she and then she'd it. remember it for the rest of her life you know and then a year from now she'd say well you know today's the doctor's birthday <laughs> oh dr ted what <laughs> so that that brings up a couple questions actually so you mentioned the routine very common uh mm -hmm. and it doesn't surprise me to hear about the condition of her room, military, like, you know, very organized. What would happen, maybe especially more when she was younger, what would happen when that routine was disrupted? I think if, if, if it's explained to her uh -huh. and, and she understands that, it, that there's a need for that disruption, it's okay. Uh -huh. Okay. But otherwise, I think she would be aware of it. It's interesting, like, we've, you know, we started looking into... What, what sort of occupational things could she perhaps do? So, mm -hmm. you know, especially she's an adult. I mean, yeah. it'd be nice if we can get her into some sort of work. You know, my wife ran a restaurant for 16 years, and Mia actually did the bookkeeping on it because she's so good with huh. numbers and facile with the computer. Mm -hmm. So she ran, you know, the the, the 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 word processing stuff to do the books yeah. and was very good at it. Yeah. But, she, but she's also the type that if we go into a grocery store, if she's walking down the aisle and if she'll notice a couple cans on the shelf or misaligned, she'll stop and straighten them out. Organize because them. Because she, she, she'll organize them. Yeah. But yet, on the other hand, if you ask her, say, would you like to maybe get a job working in the, like in a, she loves makeup. We, she actually, <clears throat> we enrolled her in a makeup school. Yeah. Actually, there was this famous school out there called the Mud School. And it was the first time they had somebody with autism actually take the course. And she excelled at it when we had her sister take it with her just so she'd have a companion. Yeah. This podcast is proudly sponsored by ABA Centers of America. So Mia's obsessed with makeup. She loves it. So she, she knows everything about it. She's made friendships of famous makeup artists because of it, this, that, and the other. But yet when you ask her something like, well, would you like to go to perhaps work at a, let's say, one of these make, makeup stores that they can they could probably arrange for it to work. Mm -hmm. Working in their back room and, you know, sorting out the makeup. It's like, no. No, she doesn't really want to do that, but she does want to be out front and doing makeup on the customers ah, gotcha. and maybe selling stuff to the customers. Now, whether I don't know if she's her language is such that I don't think the sales part would be that'd be kind of difficult. <laughs> but actually doing makeup and stuff, and and she's actually I've even brought her on a few you know film sets where she's been able to kind of act as a little bit of an assistant. You know, oh, interesting. Especially when I did a series called As We See It, which was dealt with you know people on the spectrum. Uh, so anyway, uh, so it just depends on the situation, but, uh, you know, 
That, yeah, that's that's very fascinating. So um, it was a certain aspect of it she wanted to do. She was much more interested in the sales piece of it. But yeah, she, which is kind of contrary to maybe what a lot of people think of people with autism in the sense that you know the the, the, the they like that social kind yeah. of thing. But no, she wants to mix it right up with she the, wanted the public. She wants to be upfront doing that. When is that something that she became better at over time? I mean, I'm assuming it would be like, you know, I, uh, I've worked with kids and I've seen kids who are very young and, you know, you try to take the remote patrol away from them between the hours of five and 10 because yeah. of the routine, like, you know, they'll have a tantrum and right, right, the right. kind of behaviors you worked with. Is that something she progressed with over time? And Yeah, I think so. In, in a sense, of, because first of all, you talk about like, let's say television. She doesn't hardly watch any. The, uh-huh. only, th- the only thing she kind of likes to watch is Saturday Night Live. Uh-huh. Every Saturday night, she'll tape it and watch that. She, there's no other television program that she's like. She, she likes to go on the computer, likes to, to be able to jump around this, that, and the other. Yeah. She understands all that. But yeah, it's it. And I think high school was a was a big change and a, and a very positive change mm. because at that age, and like I say, working on the inclusion aspect of it, those four years of high school, she she, she would on occasion spend some time in like in, a, in an adaptive class right. within the high school. But for the most part, at this particular high school here in Los Angeles. They had a thing called the the, the theater school within the high school that mm-hmm. you had to like try out for and be part of. And if you did, you spent almost half your day doing that. So everything you were doing was more theater oriented. Right. Well, she tried out for it, and she got in, and it was the first time they had, again that they had somebody oh. on the autism spectrum being part of that. So she was always doing the school plays and getting involved on that level. And because of it, and because she was being with these same kids every day for almost half the day each day, she made some very strong connections with those particular kids, and none of them were on the spectrum. So it was always refreshing to be able to, you know, go there on parent night and get to the school or something and see these kids. We walk by going, hey, Mia, how you doing? I'll sit down, hi, Jimmy, hi. And of course, and, then, and of course, these kids would say, hey, Mia, when's my birthday? And of course, Mia would tell them and they'd look at me, hey, Mia's great. And, and so it was that, just, you know, we, my wife and I love the fact that she had made these connections with these kids who were obviously not on the spectrum and was, you know, and so for that whole high school experience, so much of it was, was in the, you know, the non-spectrum world. How do you think it would have been different for her had she not been diagnosed and not gotten the help that she needed and been treated throughout her life? And she's just in high school. Like, how do you think things would have been different? Yeah, I, 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 I dread to think that. Yeah. And I mean, and, and I feel bad if there are places in this planet where, and there probably are, where, in other words, due to whatever it is, like of education, mm-hmm. due to just you know, you know, you know, some far-fetched places where it's just not. Where yeah. civilization just hasn't really caught up. Right. Where basically these people are just shunted off as being, well, they're the the weird ones, yeah, the, the whatever. But yet there there may also be cultures that look at them as like, oh, they're the spiritual ones. Yeah. Oh, they're they're the enlightened ones. <laughs> and we kind of, you know, we take care of them. I don't know. I mean, I can only relate to what we've done here. But uh, but yes, I would think that that would have been been much harder and much much more difficult to our listeners out there and to, to parents who are watching i asked that question because unfortunately it is still happening right we have brought awareness you know light years ahead over the last 30 years but we still have a long way to go some of what you're you know what we're talking about here is not just not catching the symptoms or not seeing it early it's that that ego that can kind of get in the way you know there's nothing wrong with my kid you know right. you're going to just go do it and you're going to handle it and you're going to deal with it yourself but to to those who are listening you know who are just getting interested in this subject for whatever reason maybe it's because um you know your child is displaying some of these symptoms the best thing you can do for them and the best thing you can do for yourself cuz you the family needs support too it's not just the person that is suffering from the symptoms the best thing you can do is get a professional diagnosis 
get that treatment and that support they need early, and then include them as much as possible in the real world in the classroom settings uh, and help them along the way to develop the skills that they're going to need to live an active life. And it sounds like that's exactly what's happened. Exactly. Tell us a little bit about the relationship with your other daughter. How do they get along and how was that early? Well, early it's on? well, that daughter was born, as I said, just, just when Mia was diagnosed, it was literally weeks later that uh, our daughter Gia was born. Yeah. And I'll never forget, like I said, we were in New York at the time. We were subletting an apartment in New York and we flew my mother in to kind of to uh, kind of watch over Mia when I would be filming and, and Arlene was, my wife was in the hospital giving birth yeah. to, the, to the baby. And I remember when we brought the baby home to the apartment, we picked her up at the hospital and we walked into the apartment and you gotta remember Mia was only two and a half years old yeah. at the time. We're still so sensitive to things like sounds and said, all of a sudden my, we walked in with the baby our daughter, baby Gia, and Bia, Gia started crying, wailing, like you know, as a baby will, like, meh. And Mia, of course, this was a total, what's going on here? What's yeah. going on? She starts screaming and holding her ears. Yeah. And my wife looks at me and goes, oh my God, what are we going to do? <laughs> and I remember saying, she, she'll, she'll laugh and she'll bring this up to me. She says, she remembers me looking at her saying, well, uh, she's going to have to get used to it because <laughs> Mia's staying. And so is Gia. And it was like, oh, oh, of course. Yes. I mean, you know, because our, our impulse always was in other situations where we, well, let's, we, we'll just have to leave the room or yeah. take Mia elsewhere. It was like, no, this is the new normal now. Yeah. You know, and so that's where it began. And so, and, and then one thing that we came to real, realize, and, and, and it was a real blessing, of course, then to have another child, uh, not because we're saying, oh, God, you, you must have another child if you have a child on the spectrum. I mean, that's just the way it worked out. Gia was born. We have another daughter. But one thing, first of all, as Gia matured and went through the stages of her life, it was interesting for us because we would say we, we more than a, a few times we would have the occasion to say, oh, wait a minute. Gia is exhibiting a certain kind of thing that Mia used to do at that age. So I guess it wasn't that autism. It was just because this is the way a five-year-old acts or a seven-year-old acts or a three-year-old acts. Yeah. You know what I mean? So there's that. And so that was, in a way, enlightening. And the other thing was, and it exists to this day, I mean, Gia is totally committed and understands she's the younger sister, but yet she's the big sister because yeah. it has to be. But yet the other thing is they are, they're, but they're sisters. And so she tolerates a lot less from her sister than perhaps we did because yeah. we, we, we had to deal with it right from birth and before G even existed, right. we had this, this child that we knew had special needs and might need special care. But on the other hand, G is more like, hey, no, wait a minute. She's my sister. She may be a little older than me. She may have autism, but th then we draw the line. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so they'll, they'll relate on a level that I can't even pretend to That's get involved in and shouldn't. But it's all good because at the end of the day, they count on each other. They love each other, and that's what—that's what's important. Yeah, agreed. So, so that I think that's hopefully the lesson learned is that when you're a family, everybody's got to be involved. Everybody's got to be part of the mix. You one thing, kind of thinking back to something you said earlier on in this interview, is that you had this moment, completely out of the blue, where you almost had to decide: I'm going to face this and advocate, or right. I'm going to try to deny it or hide it. Right. And you, you chose to advocate and you've been doing it for, for quite some time. What, as a public figure, what are some of the things that you see, what kind of misconceptions do you encounter most often around autism? 
Well, I, I'm, I'm happy to say I don't encounter as much as I used to. Yeah. Maybe go back in time. Because a bit. I think go back in time yeah. is, is is that thing. I mean, a lot of people you can you can sense it that the general populace was a little less tolerant of what was going on because they weren't they weren't being educated. They weren't even aware. Mm. I, I, the, the word autism was like it was a scary kind of a thing. And all of a sudden, if they if they, if they hear that, well, this person has autism. They, they, I mean, there were people be nervous about it, like, is that is that bad? Is that dangerous? Does that mean that this kid might do something and hurt my kid or mm. something? You know what I mean? In other words, there was a lot of misconceptions fear. about even what fear. Yeah, and I get it. W Fear comes from lack of knowledge, exactly. not, not understanding. Uh -huh. You know what I mean. So I would just say this: that over these thirty plus years, that you know, that me has been our daughter, I've seen that that education change. I, I mean, the the, the 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 sad side of it is, is part of the reason that's changed is because the prevalence of autism seems to be much more than it was. Yeah. I mean, when Mia was born, they were saying something like one out of every fifteen hundred births right. might be on the spectrum. I mean, that number just skyrocketed to a whole different kind of, I don't even know what it is now, but certainly. I still see different ranges. Um, yeah. Some some as high as one in 36. That's what I mean. So if yeah. you go from, from one in 1500 to one in 36, that's, that's, that's something. And if nothing else, it's, it's, it's caught the, it's caught the attention of, it has, it had to it caught the attention of the world. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can't deny it anymore. You can't say, well, that, that happens to other people. Mm, not us, right. You know, it's, it's like, it's like anything else. You, you can almost talk to any individual and they will, at least if they don't have a member in their family on the spectrum, <clears throat> they know somebody yeah. or whatever, have had contact with them. <clears throat> and that's, um, and, and that, and so it's, it's, I'm not so much aware of what the, you know, the, the, in other words, those negative aspects of it. They're, mm -hmm. they're always going to be, you know, maybe we're just inured to it too because we just, we, we know what to expect. And But but I think there is a, a general awareness of it, which is good. Agreed. And the more and more, the more and more aware we become, uh, the the better the outcomes. And, you know, back to the, the, you know, the ratio of diagnoses, it's not entirely clear whether or not autism is surging. Right. Whether it may be that we're just getting much, much better at recognizing it. I think you're right. Yeah, I think there's probably a mix. I think two, so, right? too. I mean, because like, I, I think, like I said, I think the, what a lot of people could classify as quirkiness. Yeah. Or they were, you know, they're a little bit off or whatever you wanted to call it has been, you know, with all the research we've done and said, okay, that, that's just falling into, that's why, as you said earlier, it's a very wide spectrum and it encompasses a whole lot of people. That's right. Uh, other thoughts I had, you know, um, and this is for these days we're all so busy, right? right? These days it's more the norm for both parents in a household to be working. And you've arguably been one of the busiest actors in Hollywood for, for quite a while. So how did you balance, how did you balance all that? I mean, you mentioned you traveled together, but how did you balance your incredibly busy acting career with now this challenge uh, of raising a daughter yeah. who needs extra attention? Well, again, I think it helped that we, we made that decision that it was going to be all inclusive. Yeah. So in other words, um, if I had made the choice of like, okay, we're going to make things a little separate, like dad's going to have this thing he has to do, and then you guys do that, and then when we're together, we're together. I think that's, in a way, to me, that's more difficult. Yeah. That, that, then you're really compounding a, 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 an issue mm -hmm. here. And, and, and I think what's, what's worked for us is that I, I live by a motto that is everyone has a story and nobody gets a free ride. Mm. Now, that's, my story is our story. And no, we didn't get a free ride. Mm -hmm. But no, but nobody's got a free ride. And so, and I think it's one of those things that if you, if you, if you, if you looked at everybody else individually and say, and say to them, say, "Oh, you know what? I wish I had their life." You better be careful before you say that, 
until you maybe scratch the surface. Yeah, or look under the hood. Yeah, look under the hood. <laughs> because I don't care who they are. You know, you, you can say, oh, man, wow, look at that person. What a great life they, they've got. I'd trade places with them in a heartbeat. I don't, yeah, maybe not. You know, so in other words, these are the cards I've been dealt in life. Yeah. I'm happy to play them. I feel very blessed to have had the cards I've dealt in mm -hmm. my life. I don't, not, not for an instant do I forget. Look, it's the reason you're having me on this show. If I yeah. was Joe Blow from Kokomo, I wouldn't be here right now, <laughs> you know. But the reason I am is because of, I under, I get it, because what I do for a living. Mm -hmm. And and I know that there are millions and millions of people on this planet have been given the choice and, hey, would you like to have Joe Montaigne's you know, occupation. Yeah, I get it. You know, they'd raise their hand. I would too, you know, if I was, you know, stamping fenders at a Ford plant, which you're not even doing right now because you're on strike, <laughs> unfortunately. So, I mean, so I, I never lose sight of that. That no matter how, you, you know, you make the most of your life as to what it is. I feel very blessed to have had the life I've had. Yeah, look, somebody said to me, you know, you see these interviews and people say, you know, I wouldn't change a thing. My daughter or my son has autism, but I wouldn't have changed a thing. No, I wouldn't go that far. Yeah. If I could change it, would she have autism? No, absolutely not. I'd want her to have had experienced life just as, you know, I've had, my wife's had, my other daughter's had, and that sometimes there's going to be painful aspects of it, this, that, and the other, but at least that, you know what I mean? That's probably what nature more intended, mm -hmm. that this is a little bit of, you know, offshoot, but that's okay. Because yet on the other hand, and my wife has this theory, and I think there might be something to it. She thinks because of those um, aspects that, that that like Mia has and other people on the spectrum have that are almost savant-like, yeah. that we think maybe in some ways these people are also they're part of, they're falling into that evolutionary crack mm -hmm. that they're somewhere lost between where we're going next. That in other words, they're 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 kind of restricted, and I don't want to misuse the word handicap, but mm -hmm. I mean, but they're kind of have these uh, other issues that that we're not used to, and in a way hold them back in in our current society. But yet they have these other abilities that they're tapping onto that we don't even tap onto. They're getting parts of their brain and accessing things that we we haven't even tapped into. So that maybe as evolution goes over the next thousands and thousands of mm -hmm. years. It's going to be just like we were, we said earlier that there are these couple people who are like the geniuses, the Einsteins, yeah. who you know dressed like he was on uh, had autism, you know, probably. <laughs> but yet maybe there's an evolutionary aspect to it that they're moving towards something. So who's to say? But but in the meantime, all you can do is, as I said, getting back to your question, we 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 didn't make many allowances for that her her particular diagnosis. It's like okay, that's the deal. But our life goes on. We're going to live our life. We have to make adjustments as we need to. But beyond that, this is it. So how are we, how is, how are we going to play it? This podcast is proudly sponsored by ABA Centers of America. I can relate to a few things you just mentioned. Um, you know, as a as a therapist and a, psychology, a psychologist, I chose from a very, very early on to willingly enter into the life of other people's pain. And I can tell you from, from experience, from exactly what you just said, you have no idea what's going on in people's lives. You know, like, oh, I would love to take that person's life in a heartbeat. You, you just don't know. You know, you have no idea what they're struggling with, which is why we should all probably try to be a little more kind to each other. Exactly right. right. And, um, and there's another thing you, you mentioned, too, is there's absolutely no doubt that like the savant side of it is always actually kind of what most interested me. I mean, you see the, the exceptional stories. There's a young man. I, I don't remember his name, but... He took a helicopter ride over Manhattan. You know I know the one, the, the artist? Yes. 
See, my my daughter has that some not like that, but uh -huh. she has great artistic capabilities. In fact, uh, Maria Shriver had a show at Sacramento at the State Capitol here, uh -huh. and one of Mia's paintings was in that. Really, because she does. She's at an art class right now, uh -huh. and she 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 has this incredible talent as an artist, and has had shows and for charity where we've we, we've we've uh, you know, they, they've sold some of her paintings and stuff like that. She does have this. Uh, it, it's unique, but it's really. It's, skilled you know what i mean but i know that when you're the kid at the helicopter was able to just duplicate what he saw for, yeah unbelievable the that's that's the extreme of that yeah you know but yeah me has a, t a taste of that yeah and that's yes exactly what we're talking so about. it's an interesting theory that you kind of just mentioned is almost um you know that piece of it being able to tap into the processing power of the human brain that other people don't uh you know it's interesting in some form or fashion is that an evolutionary jump right. that we're marching towards that's, that's, right i hadn't thought of that before that's interesting right you um you've been an advocate in this space is there any uh, anything you want to talk about um with the advocacy work that you do and what you're working on now and how you're continuing to to advance the awareness well i mean i just like i say i i i i just by having a public face doing things like this yeah. if it's helpful i'm happy that's why i'm happy to do it it is because i just figure you know, if, if if one person out there benefits from the fact that I just did this exactly. thing with you today, then it was worth it. Exactly. So so that's all. It's just that. It's just again. It's it's the more exposure, the more information, the more education that's out there. You know, the the, the better. Just what we just say about early inclusion and getting getting on it and understanding what's going on and and doing what you can do to. Because there are things you can do to, you know, certainly make it better. I spent my whole career around that one motto, really. You know, if I make a difference or, you know, save a life even once, and if I do this for 35 years before I retire, my, the entire, my all my education in the career was absolutely worth it. Exactly. I, I keep thinking back with this work, I keep thinking back to that moment when parents find out there's something wrong here and the getting the diagnosis. At first... For a lot of parents I've talked to, it's very shocking and fearful, but then almost somewhat relieving. They know that there is a there's a syndrome mm -hmm. here, and that there's something we can do right. about it. So, what advice, if you had to kind of sum it up, what advice would you give to the the parent or parents who have that two and a half year old who right. just found out? Like, what would you suggest? Well, do? I would just say, don't be you know, be aware that it's normal to get that reaction. In other words, if you. you, you there's going to be that shock. There's going to be, as I mentioned earlier, that moment of when your heart goes in your stomach and mm -hmm. go, oh, my God. But then, just like you said, there's the, the relief of at least understanding, well, okay, at least we have a name for this. We know what kind of where this kind of falls in. Maybe not specifically, but at least we know that this is not something that just, you know, this this is the only kid in the world this has happened to, and exactly. we have no idea what this is. So, and, and then I think beyond that, it's just understanding, like, okay, we, we have that information. Now, what are we going to do about it? What resources are open to us? What's available for us? You got to understand, when my daughter was born, there was no internet. Yeah. I mean, that stuff didn't even exist. So, my I mean, my kids have, don't understand that, by the way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you'd have to go to the Encyclopedia Britannica to look it up. You <laughs> yeah, know? my kids really didn't get that wouldn't one. even know what that is. I always <laughs> felt that's, that has to be the, you know, I like to see the people who retired from that job <laughs> having to sell, you know, books door to door. Door to door, yeah. But um, so there's a lot of resources out there. So, so it's just understanding that, okay, You've now been anointed with this this lifelong task of doing what you can do to see what you can do to make this work for you and your family. Yes. And that's okay. Because like, as I said, again, going back to that thing, nobody gets a free ride. This is the ride you're on. Uh, embrace it because, boy, it could be. It's like that proverb, you know, I, I, I felt bad when I 
you know, I'm paraphrasing it. I felt bad when I lost my shoes till I met the man with no feet. Mm. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. So uh, it's that. So I, I, I expect the, the the shock and and the there's going to be anger, shock, whatever all those emotions that you go through. But you get over that fairly quickly and realize oh, now what are we going to do? Yeah, kind of what you're what you're talking about. This is kind of like the stages of grief. Yeah, exactly almost. right. It's totally normal to experience those right. emotions. Would you like to tell us a little bit about your your family foundation and what you guys do? Well, you know, we start, I just actually this fairly recent. I started maintaining a family foundation, partly because, as you can imagine, I did. When me was first diagnosed, we got involved. There was a group called out of New York, NAR, National Alliance for Autistic Research. They were based on the East Coast. I was doing some things for them, you know, helping them out, yeah. some appearances, whatever, promoting what they were doing. Then we moved back out here to California. There was a group called CAN, Cure Autism Now. Mm -hmm. They were involved, kid doing stuff, got involved with them. Then Bob Wright, who was then chairman of NBC, who, you know, being in the show business, I knew who he was and him and his wife. They had a grandson on the spectrum. They got involved, and they oh. they were instrumental in bringing those two groups together, which created Autism Speaks. Ah, uh, yes. Which became this huge major kind of thing. So all I'm saying, so at every stage of, of as Mia grew up and we got involved in the autism community, we were involved. Oh, this group. Oh, well, that group. Oh no, those two groups have come together. So now, ever since then, we've been kind of partly focusing more on on smaller local kinds of things mm. because. Partly because the early intervention stuff and the stuff of looking for cures and all that, that has to be there. We, I yeah. understand that. We get that. But yet when your daughter is, you know, you have a child that's is an adult and is going to be adult maybe for another 30, 40, maybe yeah. 50 years, you start looking in that direction too. What are the places and organizations and things that are going to deal with things like uh, employment, housing, you know, ongoing care, whether it's medical mm -hmm. and all those things. So- I would, we would get involved with all these different groups. A lot of them were local. There was a group, after COVID happened, there was a group here in Los Angeles. It was a Jewish-based group called EDA. And what they did, what they started to do was through the regional center. And of course, regional center becomes important to anybody with ch children with autism, whether they have regional centers, I guess, all across the country. Mm -hmm. But this particular organization, where, where, besides they, they, when COVID happened, they couldn't have the in-house in kind of thing. They were doing a thing where they, they had an online thing from mm -hmm. 10 in the morning to 2 in the afternoon. Was that effective? Very effective. Interesting. Because here, because normally with our daughter, we'd, we'd have her go out with her aide to like taking art classes, yeah. going here and there, going to museums, going to, all of a sudden that couldn't happen. Yeah, so now you've got a child who's sitting in a room at home, can't leave the house. And, and, and all those experiences that she's used to doing don't exist. Now, at least there's this she, 10 o'clock in the morning, she goes on with it. There's all these other kids on there as well, and the young adults and all that, and somebody moderating. And they would do different things. Some of it was, you know, they have to accommodate people who are lower on the spectrum, some higher on the spectrum, mm -hmm. and this, that, and the other. So it's, it's, it's never going to be perfect for every one individual. Right. But it, it was beneficial, and it was great, and I was ha happy to see it. So it made us realize... Organizations like that, and and, and uh, all different kinds that do different things, they're always you know some of them f don't fall into the you know uh, under the auspices of like where they're getting you know government funding or this that mm -hmm. and the other. So very often I would get be asked to do things like this, yeah. where they'll say, "Hey, we'll give you an, an honorarium to do something, to do something this that or the other," and uh, and what I'll do is I'll say, "Great," and let's directed toward my foundation, my, my, not mine, but my family, the Montana Family Foundation. And at the end, of, being in my line of work, I get those opportunities. Why not then do those things and then use those funds to help these organizations that are always 
can use the help. I mean, to me, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. You know, it's it's like, it's why they say, I'll do these charity golf tournaments often. I'm a terrible golfer, but I'll, I'll do them just for that. <laughs> and they'll say, well, what, so what brings you here? Why, you know, and I'll say, well, why wouldn't I be here? I says, I'm a bad golfer, but I get to play <laughs> golf on a Monday, have a nice day, and this charity is going to benefit from yeah. it. Why wouldn't I do that? <laughs> I mean, it's like I feel blessed to have that opportunity. Yeah. So it's the same thing with the foundation. If we're able to generate uh, funding for people that can use it who are doing positive work, why wouldn't I? Absolutely. I want to thank Joe Montaigne so much for being here today, for speaking about autism awareness. It was just an unbelievable opportunity to meet you in person. I've been a huge fan for many, many years. My kids love you on The Simpsons, and they're, they, my daughter still doesn't believe that I'm, I'm meeting you today. So this is going to be fun to show her. Um, so thank you very much for, for coming on. My pleasure. To learn more about The Spectrum and our podcasts, visit abacenters.com. Like and subscribe to our channel to stay educated. We have many more fantastic guests and episodes coming, so I hope you'll tune in again to watch us next time. In the meantime, I'm Dr. Bender. Thank you for joining us. Thank you.